Welcome, everyone, to the March edition of Conversations with Archbishop Kurtz. Welcome, Archbishop. Thank you, Brian. Nice to be right in the middle of Lent with you. That's right. Now, uh, as our tradition is, we're going to have three segments for today's show. We're going to start with a very popular segment we'd, we experimented with last year. We have some viewer questions for okay, you. Some good. are about the church and some are about you, so we'll balance both of those. Then this, in the second segment, Archbishop is going to interview our new Vicar General, Father Martin Leinbach. And in the third segment, we're going to have a very interesting conversation, we hope, on the topic of faith and science. So, got a big show here. So let's get started. Oh, good. It's good to, good to have a chance. What, okay, uh, question, shoot, as questions. Okay, questions. Now, first thing is, there's a lot of stuff in the news about this. Uh, there's several questions come in about the Holy Father announcing that he might make some changes in the wording of the Our Father. Is that correct? What's going on here? Well, let, let me just give a little back. Every once in a while, by the way, changes occur in translations. Uh, okay. Remember, uh, it took us a while to get used to when I said, the Lord be with you, people would say in the past, and also with you, and now everybody says, and with your spirit. With your spirit. So <laughs> every once in a while, there is a change. And often, Brian, um, when our Holy Father brings up this issue, what he does is he puts a spotlight on this prayer to say whether actually a change occurs or not, because I don't, I don't think that has been decided. I think our Holy Father said he thought that, that there was, a, that in some ways, it's a weak translation. And he was referring to uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So uh, he said it's not really God who leads us into temptation. He, he permits temptation. And, of course, uh, uh, it's the evil one. Who, who tempts us to sin, as, as the rest of the Our Father says. So I think you, you can go back to the beginning of, of, uh, of the church where uh, Jesus, uh, in the gospel, of course, he, when, when Jesus taught the Our Father, he didn't teach it in English. So, so, so we, we know that these are translations over the centuries that have occurred. But the most important thing right now is let's get back to the basic. Um, it's, it's God who protects us from evil. Okay. And it's the evil one who actually tempts us. And, and so long as when we pray that, that prayer of Jesus that, that keeps things in the right order, we're going to be in good shape. So we don't know if it'll change or not, but even if it doesn't, it allows us to look a little more deeply into a prayer that Jesus himself taught us. Well, we start paying attention to the yeah, words. That's exactly As opposed right. to, if you say it so often, so long, it just kind of flows. That's this makes us stop and say, what does that word mean? That's good. That's exactly that's right. Thing. Okay. Exactly. Second question. Uh, we're in that time of year right now. Why is the Gloria at Mass, not sung at Mass during Advent and Lent? Well, you know, that's a good question, and, and it, it comes up with the question of what I would call the rich rhythm of the church calendar. Okay. I mean, we don't, we don't realize that, um, uh, let me put it this way, when we fast and have simpler liturgies during Lent, uh, the festive nature of Easter is all the more dramatic. And so uh, do we give glory to God every day uh, of our life, no matter what the liturgical count? Of course we do. But, but the fact that, that the festive gloria that is, is either sung or said uh, is not said during what we might call the more penitential times is, is really more to uh, allow us to, to take a step back in the rhythm and almost to prepare ourselves for um, the great uh, Alleluia and the great Gloria of Easter. Uh, I can still remember when I was growing up how the glory is sung uh, right at the very beginning, if you would, of, uh, 
of the Easter Vigil. We used to ring bells yeah, yeah. during it, and it was to, to highlight the reality of it. So, again, just as we talked about the Our Father, the Gloria doesn't become stale. But we do still, when we get up every morning, our life is, is hopefully giving glory to God. That's that great moment in the Easter Vigil. I, growing up, that was even the time in the church I was in, they used to cover the statues. That's right. And they'd rip the covers off the statues, the bells, the that's right. music. And, that, that, and that's, yeah. Brian, I think you captured it. That's the notion. And if you didn't have the covered yeah. statue, you'd have no way to, yeah. to okay. in a sense, uh, uh, make people aware of what maybe is always always present for them. And, and something's changed, the exactly. resurrection. Exactly. Okay, very good. Okay, now, this is a question that, that's... Um, uh, it should seem to be an easy answer, but it's, we all know we're struggling with um, lots of Catholics with mass attendance. And one of the people asked this question. I always attend my children's school mass during the week. And if I do, why do I still need to go on Sunday, which are so busy for me? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. And in fact, let me use uh, play on the word attend. Okay. Because we, we tend to uh, attend plays. We attend movies. Uh, we participate okay. in the Eucharist. And uh, the Eucharist is the sum and, and source of our faith. And so to participate on Sunday, really ideally with the people in, with whom we live, which is our parish, uh, that is the ideal presence. And so it's not so much attending and, and, and getting it in as if it's, a, if it's something that, that's an object. But it's actually enter. We even use the word entering into the mysteries. So um, the more we participate in the Holy Eucharist, the better. Uh, But in some ways, the central part of our faith each week will be that participation in uh, the Eucharist with the people in whose lives we are. With a local church for us is that parish. Okay. Very good. Uh, one more. This for, Then we're going to turn to you, about you. Um, we had a whole show on this last year, and it has to do with the topic of pastors getting ready to retire. Yeah. And, and what does that mean? Why can't pastors just stay in their role if they want to? Well, you're absolutely right. There's something healthy, and it's not a good – there's no one answer to this. But there is something healthy uh, f- for, uh, for me when a, when, a, when a priest turns 69, right before his 70th birthday, for me to sit down with him okay. and to go over. And that's what we do. And uh, <clears throat> in many ways, uh, the priest, when he finishes as a pastor, it's not so much he's retiring. He resigns from an office, but he remains a priest. Sure. Witness the fact that many of our, quote, retired priests are busier than I am. Okay. So, uh, so in many, many ways, it continues. But uh, it's a healthy dynamic. It's hard to know what's the right length of time for someone to serve. In many cases, it's changing pastoral needs in a parish. In other cases, it's the priest himself who feels drawn to a new ministry or a new involvement. So um, I'm kind of happy, though, that people ask the question because it means they value their pastor. Well, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, we couldn't do the ministry of this diocese without our retired priests. They do so much work wow. for us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. okay, some quick questions about you. Um, these sounds a little bit silly, but help us learn about you. What's your favorite food? I know oh, you like I to cook to sometimes. You know, I, yeah. I hate to say this to, to have it actually on, because it's, it's not. It's, my favorite and the healthiest is not the same. <laughs> okay. So, I love Pennsylvania Scrapple. I get it every once in a while from a parishioner here who comes back from Philadelphia, and uh, and uh, I, I probably get it and eat it all within three days or something like that. Uh, it's when you like something, you know it's not healthy for you. So uh, that's a, a big thing. 
I, I love, I don't eat it often, but I love pasta. When I was in Rome, I yeah, would love sure. the pasta there. So uh, uh, better to say what food don't I like. Okay. And that one, I don't have too many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a couple quick ones. I was at last minute here. What, how, what's your favorite kind of music? Well, you know what? Of course, I love classical music. Um, uh, I, I, I love the oldies. I grew up through high school and college with, with the oldies in the 50s and 60s. Um, I just recently listened to uh, the Hillbilly Thomists, yeah. which is a very interesting group, and they do bluegrass. They're, it's it's uh, Dominicans, who are two priests and some seminarians, but uh, I kind of have grown to like uh, bluegrass music, too. Very good. Yeah. It's a very good Kentuckian yeah, of you exactly, now. Very good. Exactly. Well, we could ask these other questions, which we don't have time to, about your vacations, about your walking along the Louisville waterfront, because we all, when you it's tweet not, about hey, that... Hey, listen, there's nothing like water... And relaxation yeah, to go together. I love running water. Oh, well, you share pictures of that when you when you tweet that message out. That's always kind of yeah. fun. Well, very good. It's good to catch up with that. Um, thanks everybody for being part of this segment. Archbishop will be right back after a short break here with a wonderful interview with our new vicar general. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to the March edition of Conversations with Archbishop Kurtz. It's a delight to have you back and also a delight to welcome uh, a friend, uh, Father Morton Leinbach. Father Morton, thank you for your presence here. Good morning, Archbishop. Let How me, are you today? I'm, I'm great, and I thank you for being here. Let me say a little word to our audience about you. Uh, uh, Father Morton was appointed and began last month as the new Vicar General for the Archdiocese of Louisville. Uh, this... Uh, was an occasion because uh, of the new bishop in Nashville. Uh, bishop Mark Spaulding, of course, served for six years as a vicar general. And so we're really delighted that you said yes to serving as vicar general. Father Martin was ordained uh, to the priesthood in 1987. And so is now, uh, having finished your 30th anniversary, you're now working on your fourth decade. Hopefully year, more years to come. Exactly, exactly. And of the many uh, things you've done, I know you and I worked very closely uh, in your role as the uh, Archdiocesan uh, Officer for Ecumenical Interfaith Relations. Correct. And of course, served in many capacities, but most recently as pastor of St. Patrick, and then as pastor now of St. James Church in Elizabethtown in Hardin County. So welcome and thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, listen, what's on everybody's mind is uh, what's a vicar general? So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What, I had what, to answer that question myself. Exactly. <clears throat> what rises to the surface for you? Well, I had to uh, make just a little bit of a, a joke with the folks at St. James and Elizabeth Town because we're close to Fort Knox that don't worry, I'm not joining the Army. Oh, yes. oh that's the right. They're general. thinking in terms of uh, generals. So of I the paid order. attention and actually reflected and prayed a bit about uh, the official decree that came and to speak about uh, the role of the vicar general being your principal delegate. So I thought about uh, what does that mean to me personally and pastorally? And uh, two words came to me, 
Uh, one is to support uh, your ministry as the chief shepherd, as the archbishop for the archdiocese. And then secondly, to promote, you know, as, the, as, as we grow in faith and look uh, to the future, uh, what might be important. I never really like to use the word uh, strategic plans uh, for the church. To me, they're more pastoral plans uh, because we move forward with, uh, with the heart of Christ. Uh, so that uh, support is to look really at the threefold uh, ministry that belongs to you. Uh, which is teaching, sanctifying, and governing. And uh, I see the word uh, governing all over the place when it's referred to vicar general. Uh, but I think that is in uh, the planning for the archdiocese. Uh, how are we going to meet the needs of the, of the people, the good people of the archdiocese, uh, as we uh, look down the road for the next uh, several years, if however long uh, you would like for me to uh, have this position? And then uh, that sense of promote, uh, remember, and it's always good for us to, re- to remind ourselves, what you say frequently is that uh, the archdiocese isn't going to be healthy if the parishes are healthy. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think you've, you've given us a good insight into what a vicar general is. The word vicar, of course, is to stand in the place of another. So uh, many people here where there's the pastor and there's the uh, parochial vicar, the one who, who stands and, and assists the pastor. So thank you for doing that. Um, I, I, I count on your good advice. There's many ways in which the church gives good counsel. Uh, but the vicar general is, has a special role in that, so I thank you for that. I thank you sometimes publicly for uh, being present uh, in, uh, in, in, in my absence. And, uh, and also, I think, in a, in a special way, being an ear especially a number of our priests, sometimes uh, they need permissions for this or that pastoral duty, and, and they'll be calling um, you in the middle of the night instead of me, maybe. So, so uh, I'm, I'm grateful for your willingness to do this. Well, I was uh, I'm humbled and uh, a little surprised that you asked me. You know, the, uh, the information about uh, what the church uh, talks about and describes as the role of the vicar general is uh, there's a canon law piece to that if you will and sure. neither one of us are and you gave me great comfort to saying you know when I became a bishop I was uh, thought about that uh, and that has not been an inhibition to you so I don't no, think the formal training I think you, you and I know more about canon law than we think we do <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't want to give a false impression but but you're right there's not a formal degree you're absolutely right listen let's talk a little bit more about yourself though uh, uh, you you became a priest, obviously, in 1987. Tell us just in a, in a nutshell, uh, what's your story? When did you first feel that call to the priesthood? Thank you. Uh, people who get to know me know my little dry sense of humor, so behind that I say a little bit tongue-in-cheek that I'll do anything to get to heaven. <laughs> <clears throat> but I share with folks uh, when I was at uh, St. James and St. Patrick and the other parishes that I've been privileged to be a part of that uh, as a priest, but more importantly as a pastor, I really do, in really simple words, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, my role is really to help you get to heaven. Yeah. And then I make a little joke and to say, and if I can get you there, my chances are a little higher, too. That's very good. When did you first feel the call, though? How old were you? I was uh, in uh, early high school, and I think it gives uh, credence to the importance of parish life. Uh, I was uh, did go to Catholic elementary school, but then I went to public high school, mm-hmm. and it was really parish life that uh, started me thinking and uh, listening, and it was the role of my pastors first. Uh, kind of, I, I thought, you know, they seem uh, to be so content. There's a serenity, but there was also a joy. Uh, I still, believe it or not, uh, in high school, remember a couple of homilies that touched me. Yeah. 
And I thought, I want to be a... This is good for people who are listening to hear that uh, it's amazing the different ways in which God can touch our lives uh, through a homily, uh, etc. And uh, one of the things that you bring also as the Vicar General is a rich experience of pastoral life, don't you? So uh, tell us a little bit, because as people will know, being a Vicar General is not your full-time uh, occupation, if anything, uh, your primary role in a day-to-day basis will continue to be the pastor of uh, St. James in, in Elizabethtown. Um, I'm thrilled that you are both vicar general, but also continuing to reside and serve within Hardin County. How does that? How do you see that as a, as beneficial from your viewpoint? It was interesting to me when shared the news with the parishioners at St. James that. Uh, wow, there was just a sense of, of great, uh, almost pride, and oh gosh, maybe we are significant and important. I don't think anybody ever questioned that, yeah. but it's a it's a good reminder. Uh, in uh, not only in Elizabethtown but in Hardin County, I just love the term. It's referred to as the heartland of Kentucky. Right. Uh, so to uh, kind of understand and just remind ourselves that oh my gosh, you know the archdiocese is a diverse, wide, even geographic. Uh, a part of who can, the consistency of the archdiocese, and it was my first time when uh, I went to St. James's Pastor. When you asked me right. to do that, it was my first time to serve in a parish outside of Jefferson County. Uh, so I've learned a lot. There's a richness and a beauty. Uh, I always uh, share with the folks that uh, the diversity at St. James is really, really beautiful. Oh, that's great. That is great. And you know, let me just say this: we're we're running out of time now, but I think we've caught we've caught the essential. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Father Martin, first of all, for serving as Vicar General and also as pastor uh, at, at St. James in E-Town. Uh, thanks also for the, the, the care and wisdom and pastoral heart that you bring. Uh, we're really very grateful for well, it. I appreciate you, you saying that. Mission. It's my pleasure to Absolutely. be with you and to serve the, thank you. Uh, the folks thank of you the so Archdiocese. Much. And I, I want to thank each and every one of you for uh, in the uh, viewing audience for your presence. And please now stay tuned for the third edition of Conversations with Archbishop Kurtz. God bless you. Welcome back, everyone. Archbishop, uh, listening to our new vicar general was, was yeah, very enlightening. He's a good man, isn't he? We have a long yeah. history of good vicar generals, and yeah. I have no doubt Father Martin's going to be another one. He is. He really is. Yeah, thanks. thanks, Brian. Okay, a, a big topic. We could do shows and shows on this one, which is the topic of faith and science. So, so let's, let's unpack a little bit in the few minutes that we have. What's the relationship between yeah. faith and well, science? I'm, first of all, I'm glad you're bringing it up because it's, a, it's on many people's minds, especially the young. So this is, this is perfect. Um, the, the, the short answer is that even though sometimes people think that uh, uh, faith and science is a multiple choice, you have to pick one or the other, the truth is, uh, rightly understood, they both go together. Uh, 
And there's a quote, maybe I can read it, uh, Brian, from the Catholic Catechism that's, uh, that I think is very instructive. Would that sure. be all right? Terrific. Yeah. It, here's, what, here's what it says. Uh, this is uh, based on uh, the uh, Gaudium et Spes, which is a document from the Second Vatican Council. It says this, Though faith is above reason, there can never be any real discrepancy between faith and reason, since the same God who reveals mysteries and infuses faith has bestowed the light of reason on the human mind. God cannot deny himself, nor can truth ever contradict truth. Consequently, methodical research in all branches of knowledge, provided it is carried out in a truly scientific manner and does not override moral laws, can never conflict with the faith because the things of the world and the things of faith derive from the same God. So, Brian, St. John Paul II uh, talked about faith and reason, or we might say faith and science, as two wings of truth that lead us to a contemplation of truth. Okay, that's a really fine, almost philosophical stance it, it of is, it. It really is. But, but, but where does the misunderstandings come from, though? Well, I think in two directions. As most things, extremes are, uh, what, what did St. Thomas Aquinas say? Virtuous and medius thought. The virtue stands right in the middle. And so what are the two extremes? Well, the one extreme, quite honestly, is an extreme in faith that sees the Bible or Revelation as a scientific textbook. And it's not. And so uh, that extreme leads us into a disdain for science. Mm -hmm. And often that's the caricature of what people think faith is. The other end of the spectrum is what is called not science, but scientism. And that's a false belief that, that through science we can answer the ultimate meaning of life, of the ultimate questions. And, and that itself is not true either. The greatest scientists, many who advanced it, were people of deep faith. In fact, um, isn't it true there's many Catholics oh, in particular um, who who's, uh, contr have contributed to the body of knowledge that we call science, but, but and, and that reflects their faith is what you're yeah. saying. A number of weeks ago, I think it was on the Stephen Colbert show, that, yeah. that uh, uh, the Neil uh, deGrasso Tyson, who is, I think, a, 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 a scientist of the first rate, uh, he talked about almost a litany of those, including uh, Mendel, who who uh, was a, a priest who was called the father of genetics. Uh, you have uh, Father uh, Lemaitre, who, who uh, is from Belgium, was uh, a priest in Belgium and a scientist who is credited with the Big Bang Theory that we talk about as the, the uh, origins of the universe. And, and all along, we could list it as if it were a litany of people of faith who also uh, were those who advanced science. So we're rightly understood. They, they go together, as they used to say, like a horse in a carriage. Uh, it, the, the church, actually, that's true for a lot of serious academic subjects. Uh, not, I don't mean to change this from science, but more than science, lots of things the church is deeply rooted university. in. Yeah. yeah, and people will, will uh, get... Uh, some incidences of history, and some of which are accurate, and some of which are are actually inaccurate. With the Galileo situation, he yeah. was actually a man of faith. And uh, and but the the most important thing is not so much to argue, but rather to get it right. And so faith, rightly understood, welcomes scientific advancement. And science, rightly understood, understands that. Let me put it this way: because you can do something. We learn this from the creation of the nuclear bomb. 
because you can do something doesn't mean you should, doesn't mean you ought. And so it's, it's moral theology that t- tells us ought, what we ought to do. Okay. Uh, science cannot give us those moral answers. So in a sense, faith and science need each other. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, so you, without one, you're missing a, an under, a different understanding. You're you're, you're, the you're, world. In, you're incomplete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Th- this is what uh, the it's a wonderful encyclical called Fides in Ratio, uh, which is faith and reason done by uh, Saint John Paul II in the late nineties. Uh, he gives uh, he actually talks about scientism and he also talks about uh, the uh, the misuse of faith of, of seeing itself as a as a, a textbook. A scientific textbook. Why, why do you think young people are interested in this? That's an interesting. Well, it, it, it's. It, I think there's two things. First of all, I think the great advances of science uh, are fascinating. They're fascinating to me. But a young mind, God places wonder and curiosity in our minds and uh, and and in our hearts. And I think young people see that. The other thing is, unfortunately, there are some scientists today who fall victim to what I would call scientism. Yes, yes. And they promote a false divide. Yes, yes. yes. I hear that a lot. Uh, now, our, our Holy Father, he studied science, wasn't he? In, 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 in chemistry, chemistry, I yeah. think, exactly. Actually, uh, almost everybody that you encounter, if you see someone who has a great mind, a great intellect, you will find that they are involved in the natural sciences as well as in theology and faith. In fact, the best theologians are people who are grounded in the realities of this world. Wow. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm worried that my uh, high school chemistry teacher wouldn't agree that my, my mind with that. That's, 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 <laughs> we have all well, these you know what? Images. The other <laughs> thing that, that I will say this, too, is sometimes we make the mistake and we say, well, let's kind of dumb down religion. Let's not challenge okay. uh, young people or really people of any age to understand the depths of their faith. Uh, in order to rightly understand the relationship of faith and science, uh, your brain has to work. Yeah, you have yeah. to be challenged to, to not take an easy answer of saying, well, I'm, it's this rather than that. Think, think, think. Yeah, exactly. And just briefly, locally, I know you started having conversations with some of our local scientists. Well, I have. I, I, I began by uh, having some dialogue with, uh, with uh, three uh, scientists from the University of Louisville, and they, they, uh, they themselves approached me, and we've had two meetings. We're having now a third and inviting someone else to come, and I, I think it's our, our second meeting. We actually studied uh, the encyclical uh, Fides and Ratio, and uh, uh, I get motivated by that kind of interchange, and I suspect that, that those who, other, who participate do the same. Terrific. Well, as I said, this could be a whole topic we could unpack a long time, Absolutely. but that's a great, great summary of where the question is today, and, and hope that was helpful t- for you, too, as our viewers. Thanks for being part of the March edition of Conversations with Archbishop Kurtz. It's been a good show, and see you next month. Come on back for the April edition in just a short number of weeks.